Good morning. My name is Rachel Labrie, and our scripture reading for today is Luke 13, 10 through 17, today's New International Version. You may take out your Bibles or look at the screens above. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, There are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, You hypocrites! Doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Rachel. That was great. Good morning again. I think I forgot to introduce myself before. I am Julie Steele. Just so you know, I'm not a party crasher here. Um, I do belong here. I'm one of the pastors here, and um, I'm delighted to share God's word with you again today. I would like to start with something that I, uh, somebody sent me through email, which I typically don't do, but I think you'll appreciate this. God does have a sense of humor, and I think we humans give him a lot of material to work with, actually. So today, there you got it, Bob. Okay. <laughs> okay. I'm going to move on because it's been a few seconds, right? Today, the title of our sermon is, What's Your Bent? And as Rachel read for us, we're looking at a woman who was physically bent over, but there's also several other characters in our story, and we're going to look at what their bent was. Before we get started with our actual text today, though, I thought it would be good to go over just miracles in general, what people think about them. We see miracles in the Old and the New Testament of the Bible, and the majority of the stories of the miracles that Jesus performed tell how he healed the sick of various diseases, blindness, paralysis, deafness, fevers, and other things. He raised the dead, and he cast out demons. In general, these cures came basically from either his word or, like in today's story, by his touch. The remaining stories that we see show his power over inanimate objects, feeding 5,000 people with very little food, walking on the surface of a lake, calming a storm. He changed water into wine, perhaps the first happy hour, and caused enormous catch of fish. He did all these things and many more. As a matter of fact, the Gospel of John tells us at the very end of his book, in the last verse, 
It says, and there are also many other things which Jesus did, which if they were written in detail, I suppose would even in the world itself not contain the books which were written. Clearly, Jesus did many more things than what we even see in Scripture. So why did he do these things? Why did he heal? Why did he perform miracles? Well, I think the first reason is that he had compassion. You see, he cares about the suffering of humanity. In several verses, they start out with, moved with compassion, Jesus, and then talks about how he healed somebody. So clearly he had a motivation of being moved with compassion for humanity. Another reason that Jesus performed miracles was to prove his deity. Jesus was God. He was a human being walking the earth, but fully God and fully human at the same time. These miracles were indications that God's power was working through Jesus in the world. And he also wanted to bring glory to God. You see, he wanted God to get the glory and not people marvel at Jesus personally, but to see that God's power was in him and working through him. We see here in uh, Luke 7, it says, Fear gripped them all, and they began glorifying God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us. God has visited his people. You see, Jesus performing these miracles made it clear God was with them. God was visiting his people. Now, there are people who don't believe in miracles, or they believe that miracles took place at just for a time, and that God's full revelation, now that we have the Bible, you don't really need miracles before. I've heard lots of different ideas on this. So where do you fall? Are these just antiquated stories that make us feel better? Were miracles just for a time, and, and now we don't need them anymore, or they don't actually happen? I heard an interesting quote. People who don't like to talk about miracles often find no trouble at all in talking about the paranormal. Have you had that experience? That's been my experience. People love to talk about their guardian angels, fate, karma, the spirit world. However, as soon as you bring up Jesus as being the performer of these miracles, they look at you like you're crazy, like what you're saying is way more out there than what they're talking about. And I kind of have a theory on that. It's a lot easier to talk about supernatural things when you can't attribute those things to somebody. There's no accountability. You see, if I talk about my guardian angel and how they did this for me or protected me from that, what am I going to do with that guardian angel? I don't have a response that I need to give. If I talk about how Jesus intervened, Jesus performed a miracle, all of a sudden there's a relationship that's been established there, and I'm accountable to that person, right? If, if you give me a gift, but it's anonymous, and I don't know who gave it to me, I can enjoy this gift, but I don't have to thank you or feel any connection to you. But if you personally give it to me, all of a sudden a relationship is established. So that's why I think people love to talk about the paranormal, but they really shy away when you start attributing those things to God. I also think that we as Christians have a very limited view on just what a miracle is. 
Have you seen any miracles this week? Have you witnessed God's power in your life this week? Well, I don't know if you saw on the news, but a few weeks ago, a man from Stanwood, just north of here, was in a terrible body surfing accident in Hawaii a few weeks ago. He was vacationing with his family and friends, having a great time in the water, when all of a sudden, he had what I termed a few weeks ago as a shipwreck in his life. Listen to some of this article. When you talk to Dodd Dutzman, which is the gentleman who got uh, hurt, you can't help but be touched by his optimism and spirit. Somehow, the Stanwood dad remains surprisingly upbeat despite suffering a body-surfing accident in Hawaii two weeks ago that has left him paralyzed. The memory is still crystal clear. Todd was with his family and friends frolicking in the surf off Maui's big beach when suddenly a huge wave came upon him, driving his head into the sand. It was a flash. You go from pure joy of hanging out with your friends, and 15 to 20 minutes later, you're down a journey in your life that obviously only God knows what's prepared for you. It's certainly a life changer, said Todd. Zach, can you play this clip? So where is the miracle here? It almost looks like the opposite of a miracle, doesn't it? Here he is laying in a hospital bed, was having a great time on his vacation. The miracle is his attitude. How else can you explain being in that circumstance and having that positive attitude? And not only that, glorifying God, thanking Jesus Christ. This was on YouTube. And I'd heard it on the radio, so I went and and searched and found it. You see, we really do have a limited view of what a miracle is, because he was a miracle. Now, on to our text today. We are going to look at the woman first. We have three main characters, the bent-over woman, the um, synagogue leader, and, of course, come on. Jesus. Okay, Jesus is in every story. That's right. Um, I'm going to be sharing with you today from a book that actually uh, inspired me to write this message. It's called Incredible Moments with the Savior Learning to See. Some of you may have this book. It is an older devotional, but um, the writing is great. So interspersed, I'm going to be reading from this book. Well, we start with this woman who is bent over, who doesn't have a name, which right there tells us that her condition is what's defining her right now. She is the bent-over woman. The text tells us a few things about her. She was in the synagogue on the Sabbath, and she was crippled for 18 years. The base of her back is fixed at a right angle like a rusted hinge. Her back muscles are knotted to help bear the weight of the severe curvature, and her nerves are pinched from the misaligned vertebrae. For almost two decades, she has been tethered to this deformity, cinched tight by an emissary of Satan. A spirit has done a devilish dance on her back, leaving behind its cruel heel marks in trampling down what once stood tall and stately. Above the bent woman arches an expansive sky where broken ranks of clouds parade by. 
but her movement is not so windblown and free. She winces in pain as she shuffles toward the synagogue. She can't see the baby blue sky or the brilliant white billows overhead. She only sees the dirt brown streets and the litter of the day. This woman was probably had a particularly crippling form of arthritis, and I would imagine that she's not just bound physically, because as is with most chronic ailments or situations, it spills over emotionally. Daily limitations can get very tiring, and I know this. Many of you know that I suffer with a chronic form of dizziness and episodes of vertigo, and having to manage that day in and day out is a challenge. Like this woman in our story who cannot look up at the sky, I cannot look up or down or lie back or on my side as it will immediately make things start spinning. So life can get a little tricky. My list of limitations is lengthy, and I can identify with this woman, and I know many of you can too. We can be crippled by more than physical conditions. We can be crippled by fear, by bitterness, hopelessness, unforgiveness, and many other things. Being crippled of not being able to move freely in a situation the way God intended. Something that we learn from this chronically crippled woman is that she continued to worship God. She was at the temple that day when Jesus was there, and it really paid off. It's so easy to retreat from people and turn away from God when you are in a situation that you just feel like is never going to end. Our text tells us that when Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. He put his hands on her head, his hands on her, excuse me, and she was able to stand straight after 18 years. As she takes her seat in the synagogue, Jesus' attention is diverted from his text to fall upon the yellowed, dog-eared pages of her life. He skims the story of the last 18 years, reading every sentence of suffering and pausing over every question mark that punctuates her pain. But what arrests his attention is the gilded edge on those pages, her faith. She is a true daughter of Abraham, and she has come to worship Abraham's God as she does every Sabbath. In spite of the pain... In spite of the pitied stares, she comes. Jesus closes the scroll he's been teaching from, and he bids her to come forward. It's an embarrassing moment for the woman. All eyes are riveted on her as she awkwardly moves down the aisle. She stops before him, twisting her torso in a strained attempt to see his face, and their eyes meet. Woman, You are freed from your sickness. Jesus lays his hands on her hunched over shoulders, and immediately the fisted muscles release their grip, the vertebrae fall into place, and the captive nerves are set free. She raises her hands and turns her eyes toward heaven, 
something she hasn't been able to do for a long, long time. And she praises the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And she praises him for also being the God of the lonely little bent-over woman. So, what's been crippling you? If Jesus were to walk in here right now in bodily form and walk up to you and say your name, Julie, you are set free from your infirmity, what would you be free from? What would he be releasing you from right now? You may not have your bent over state changed. You could, but you might not. But you could be free of the emotional and spiritual limitations that you have been managing day in and day out. You see, you could be free to praise God in spite of, like this gentleman we saw in the video, your circumstances, which would be a miracle. We're going to look at the synagogue leader now because we're going to look at what's his bent. Well, the synagogue leader is bent on systems and traditions over people. Now, I'm a rule follower. I like rules, but I do have a bit of a rebellious streak in me that sometimes comes out in very immature and inappropriate ways, I will say. I grew up in a really chaotic house where we didn't have a lot of rules or at least spoken rules. And things were never consistent. So I think that was my way of dealing with this is to start making lots of rules for my life. I feel really comfortable with rules, but only the ones I agree with are the ones I make up myself. And that's where that rebellious streak can come in. So I'm going to give you just some of my rules that I have made for myself and sometimes impose upon other people. Uh, I have, you know, I think we all have some of these for ourselves, right? I have food rules. I mean, there's, there's food you don't eat in the summer and there's food that you don't eat in the winter and don't mix them up because it messes up the seasons for me. Uh, caramel apples can only be eaten in the month of October. Fortunately, it's a 31-day month, so you get extra day in there. I have holiday rules. Uh, Halloween, you need to eat pizza and watch Charlie Brown's Great Pumpkin. Thanksgiving night, you must watch one of the Miracle on 34th Streets. Uh, for Christmas, you can't play Christmas music before the Thanksgiving meal is over. No making fudge or cookies until the day after Thanksgiving, and you have to dress up Christmas Eve no matter where you are or what you're doing. Well, these really did bleed over into my family because uh, one of the years that Ben was at uh, university, I got a phone call about a week before Thanksgiving, and he said, Mom, I've got you on speakerphone. My roommates are playing Christmas music. You have to tell them to stop. <laughs> I said, you know, Ben, you're going to just have to go in your room and shut the door. You can't impose that on other people. But I realized maybe I was just a little too militant about it. Valentine's Day, you must wear pink or red. St. Patrick's Day, of course, you need to wear green and eat corned beef and cabbage. And the last one I'll share with you is Barry's favorite, my dishwasher loading thing. So this is how you load a dishwasher, no ifs, ands, or buts, from back to front and right to left. Because as the dishwasher's loading, 
you don't want to have to reach over the dishes, plus you don't have to work as much when those last few things go in. So if it's different, I will rearrange it. <laughs> so we all have our rules, right? And rules can be really good. But the uh, synagogue leader had some rules that weren't necessarily so good. But what glorifies God only infuriates the synagogue official. To him, the service has been disrupted and the Sabbath dishonored. He rises in indignation to restore order and to make sure this breach of protocol doesn't set a precedent. His words have an edge on them and come down sharply on the crowd. There are six days for work, so come and be healed on one of those days, not on the Sabbath. Wait a minute, shouldn't he be rubbing his eyes rather than raising his voice? Did he somehow miss the miracle? No, he saw it, but his eyes were so fixed on formality and rules and time-honored traditions that he lost sight of the incredible display of power before his eyes. Wow. Don't you wonder if that leader cringed as those words were coming out of his mouth? Come back later? Come back on a different day? Did he really say that? I've said some pretty stupid things before, and when they're coming out of my mouth, it's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you're saying that, but I can't take it back. And I would just have to hope the synagogue leader felt the same way. However, before we get too judgy on him, let's think about some ways that we are bent on systems and traditions over people. This church has changed a lot in the last several years. We used to do things very differently. And some of the things we used to do, we don't do at all anymore. We do different things. I've heard people say that the Bible says we're supposed to sing hymns. We are to be singing hymns, and that is true. Colossians and Ephesians both specify singing hymns. However, do you really think the Bible's talking about a song that was written 2,000 years later? A mighty fortress is our God is exactly what Paul had in mind. Now, I love hymns, so please don't get me wrong, but... When we hear the Bible refer to singing hymns, that word actually means a song that praises God, not a style of worship. And you know, it used to bother me when I would see people pulling out their electronic devices to read scripture. It just rubbed me the wrong way. I need that book. That is God's word, and this other stuff isn't. Well, I want you to know that what goes around comes around, because the original Bible was actually written on tablets, okay? So we need to get over that. And I also know that people feel like we need to dress a certain way. We need to have our service a certain way. We are completely missing the people we are trying to reach out to. We are missing the work of God right in our midst. I'm not saying traditions aren't important. They are. There's rich church traditions that we should be drawing on. But I think what angers God is that we turn our traditions into a biblical mandate. 
We can't confuse the two because if we do, we will put a stumbling block in the way of those who are trying to encounter Christ. So what was Jesus bent? Well, Jesus bent was on people over systems and traditions. Jesus turns to the pontifical man who is flanked by a few of the more pious. You hypocrites, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be free on the Sabbath from what has bound her? The logic proves irrefutable. All eyes turn to him. All ears await his reply, but the synagogue official sits down slowly in a stew of humiliating silence. Such an ironic picture. The sudden flexibility of a woman's physical posture juxtaposed to the rigidity of the religious leader's spiritual posture. Why is it so often that most religious are the most resistant to the power of God? Is their theology so neatly boxed that there's no room for miracles? Is their order of service so structured that there's no room to be surprised by the spontaneity of a supernatural God? Jesus calls out this synagogue leader in front of everybody. The word hypocrite here, I looked it up in the um, Greek, describes someone whose behaviors are not determined by God. Jesus knew their indignation was not coming from a godly perspective. This wasn't the only time that Jesus healed on the Sabbath. He was proving he was Lord of the Sabbath. He created it along with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit back at the beginning of time. We see that the church leader here who is bent on the law and systems has lost sight of the purpose of the law. You see, the Sabbath was made for man, Jesus tells us, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was created by God for our benefit. It was a way for us to take a day of rest and to focus on God because God knew that was the only way our souls were really going to be restored. He knew and knows what's best for us. So they missed the joy of seeing this daughter of Abraham set free. The law's been broken, that's it. That's all that matters. It's so much easier to obey laws. Check it off your list. I'm good. I did that one. I don't do that one. You see, the law was to point everybody to Jesus. The Pharisees and the church leaders couldn't see past the law. Actually, the law was their God. They worshiped the law. Sometimes the church organization becomes our law. We care more about the order of a service or how we govern ourselves or how we do things around here. Now, there's nothing wrong with order and having uh, the way that we do things. It's when it gets in the way of us letting people encounter Christ in a way that they haven't before. So what are some application points for us? Are you missing the miracles of God in your life because you have a wrong view or a limited view 
of what God's work is and what he's doing in your life? What do you need straightened out in your life, like this woman with the bent over back? Are you like this woman and you haven't been able to look up and see the sky for a really long time because something's crippling you? Maybe you have a physical ailment, a situation that just isn't going to change. You see no way out, and all you want to do is see the sky instead of the ground. But maybe you can identify with the synagogue leader, which I can tell you I really can. Is there an attitude that needs to be straightened out here? Maybe it's needing to be right instead of being in a right relationship with someone. Maybe it's holding a grudge. Maybe it's thinking that your way of loading the dishwasher is the only right way to load the dishwasher. And that's keeping you from seeing other people's perspectives. I don't know what it is for you, but I know we all have those things. And so I would encourage you to really be open to asking the Lord today, what do I need to be free from that's crippling me from being who you have created me to be. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your presence with us. We thank you for the power that you display in our lives each and every day. We ask for new eyes to see your work so that we can glorify you. God, we ask that any areas that we need to be freed from you will bring to our minds and we will give it to you so that we can be free to be who you created us to be so that you could be glorified. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you've done, what you will continue to do, and what you will do. In your name we pray, amen.